Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, and welcome to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today on the show, we've got a great guest, Jeff Mosley, owner, founder, president of Fairtrade Records, formerly INO Records. This guy's a 30-year veteran of the music industry, founded INO in 1999. He has helped shape the careers of artists as diverse as Mercy Me, Sonic Flood, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, For Him, Newsboys, C.C. Winans. He's a member of several boards, including the Christian Music Trade Association, Young Life, Christian Booksellers Association, and the Gospel Music Association, where he served as chairman of the board for over two years. And today we get an inside look at what it is to own and run a major record label. He talks about how life is a seminar, and I kind of felt like interviewing him, I was getting a seminar myself, so make sure you're really listening. If you're a note taker, take notes. I think this is one you can listen to a time or two over and over again. There's tons of wisdom, lots of things you can learn, whether you're new to the music biz or whether you've been in it for a long time. It's exciting to see this show start to take shape and to take off. Audience is growing. We're getting more listeners every single episode, every single month. Keep the iTunes reviews and ratings coming. Those help us a ton with getting good placement and getting the message heard. Speaking of getting your message heard, if you're an artist out there, we wanted to announce a big contest that we're partnered with. You can find it at musiccontest.co. We're partnered with Fancy. We're going to be giving away $15,000 worth of prizes, including an opportunity to work with my team, Full Circle Music. You get a songwriting and recording session with us. You've also got a custom app to gather fans, sell fan club memberships and merch that Fancy's going to build you. Career consulting sessions, three of them, with a board of industry experts. And get your submissions in before April 30th, 2016. You just got a few more weeks to go on it. Apply online for free at musiccontest.co. That's musiccontest.co, not .com. Musiccontest.co. Let's jump into the show. Here at uh, Fairtrade Services Full Circle Music Show, we got Jeff Mosley. No, he is not my uncle nor my cousin, <laughs> nor any relation to me. He has an extra E in the name, but no, you're a busy man. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, Jeff, if you're not familiar with him, has a company called Fairtrade Services, created that in May of 2011, formerly INO Records. He's a 30-year veteran of the CCM industry, founded INO in 1999. And yeah, you've been around for a long time. You've helped... Artists like Mercy Me, Sonic Flood, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, For Him, Newsboys. Am I missing any? A few, but it's all right. That's good. <laughs> I think probably the biggest song that maybe you've been kind of a part of was a song called I Can Only Imagine. Is that, right. is that kind of your become your calling card for? You know, it's, I've been fortunate through the years. Worked at Word. I actually started in 1980, so this is going on 36 years for me. Wow. And through the years, I've been associated with a lot of big songs. And Amy Grant, El Shaddai, did radio promotion for that. Yeah. Went to Reunion, did a song called Awesome God with Rich Mullins. Was that's at, not a bad uh, one. That's not a bad one. While I was at Benson, we had a song called Butterfly Kisses. Yeah. It sold about, I don't know, 3 million records and 3 million you know, yeah. downloads. Yeah. And then at INO slash Fairtrade, I can only imagine for sure. And, yeah. and that was really a pretty magical moment for us as a new company. They were the 
first new artist I signed to the company. Yeah. And to have it kind of be as successful as it was was a gift. Yeah. And from what I know, I mean, maybe give us the backstory because I don't know that I've even ever heard the story and the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, behind I Can Only Imagine. How did that whole thing come together? And I had just gotten through running the Benson Record Company for two years. Well, it was not the best experience of my life, but really felt like I wanted to start my own label. Not out of any ego or any satisfaction, but just seemed like the natural next step. And I wanted to do a label that was what I call the third way. In the past, you had uh, majors who had a lot of money. Some would say, at times, not as much heart, not as much focus. Then you had independents who had a lot of heart, a lot of focus, but maybe not a lot of money or a lot of expertise. And so I wanted to start a well-funded boutique label that really would meet the needs of the artist and, and financially could really benefit them and didn't look at partnering with an artist in just one specific way. Sure. That could say, what works for you, and let's craft a deal for that. So yeah. that's how I started INO yeah. Records. I originally started to work with artists who were more established because I found out that I really like working with artists that know who they are, know what their calling is, are walking out their calling and are being affirmed in their calling. Mm -hmm. And so typically that's more established artists. But I kind of got an itch to do new artists and I really didn't know whether that was me being bored and restless or whether that was something I was supposed to do. And one day I was talking to my wife and I was really kind of perplexed because new artists are a little risky at times, and just asked her to really pray for me, you know, for some wisdom. Should we work with new artists or stick with more traditional artists, established artists? And she said she would, and I said, no, I, I really need you to pray for me now. Like, I need God to call me on the telephone and tell me what to do, because I'm kind of confused. And she said, I'll do that. And right about that time, the other line rang, and I said, I've got to go, I've got to pick up this call. And I picked it up, and it was Bart Millard, and he said, you don't know me, but I'm Bart Millard, this band Mercy Me. Mark Maxwell told me to call you, and I have a song called I Can Only Imagine that Amy's interested in. Would you listen to our music, and would you consider maybe talking to us about working together? Mm -hmm. That's how it happened. Wow. That's amazing. And what year would that have been when, when you kind That of would first... have been uh, late 99, first okay. of 2000. And had they been kind of shopping it around Nashville? Was it one... If I recall hearing right, the story is that, you know, it was kind of a song that was passed on by a, a lot of other folks. Is that true? I, I think so. I, I mean, they, you know, they've told me that they jokingly got passed on by everybody in town. Yeah. And I heard I Can Only Imagine, and there was that, and there was another artist named Sarah Groves yeah. that had a, had a record that was pretty much done. Yeah. And that just really spoke to me. And, and I heard I Can Only Imagine. I heard Sarah Groves. I went home to my wife. And I said, look, I think we may need to take out a second mortgage on the house. Yeah. I'd put the house in her name so I would, if the business didn't work, we'd still have shelter over our heads. Sure. I Smart said, tip for you folks out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> I said, are you willing to do that? And she said, yeah, I think so. I said, I think the most we can lose is forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. But I think we can actually like do something on this, and it could be significant. And she said, I'm behind you all the way. I trust you. Let's do it. So we signed both of those artists. Sarah's record came out first, but Mercy Me was actually signed first. And, and that's kind of how things started kind of blowing up. Yeah, that's awesome. So was that one of those songs where, because we always ask the question of, you know, when you hear a song that's a quote-unquote hit, do you know it the second you hear it, or are you just kind of going off of a gut reaction? Because you obviously heard something in it that nobody else did when they were passing on I Can Only Imagine. Well, I think... A lot of people look for reasons why things won't succeed. 
I try to look for reasons why things will succeed. Mm. Uh, certainly, it's a gut thing. The music business is not a science. It's an art. Uh, I heard something that I felt like was really important and just decided to really take a chance on it. I knew it was a hit. Yeah. I really did. So you knew from the second you heard it? I knew it from the second I heard it. Wow. Now, did I know that it would sell 3 million records and 3 million downloads? No, I did not. Yeah. I, I really thought, hey, I think we could sell 100, 150,000 albums on this. Right. You know, which in my mind, I just couldn't let myself think farther than that. Yeah. because of the conditions in the market. Yeah. But yeah, I knew it was a hit. I knew it was going to work. Yeah, so music industry's tanking, everybody's doom and gloom, and you're thinking, hey, you know, maybe we'll sell 150,000 records, but you still had the faith to go and put a mortgage on your house because you believed in it. Yeah. It, it sounds kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a renegade thing to do. Do you still have to kind of do those type of things to be active in the music industry today? I think you always have to risk, always. Yeah. I think the thing that I would say is, yes, I took that risk. I took that risk after running three different record companies and 20 years of experience. Yeah. I didn't take that risk as a 25-year-old two years out of college. Sure. I had market awareness. You know, as a label, we don't want to be market-driven. We don't want the market to dictate to us the kind of music that we need to put out. But we need to be market-informed. We can't make stupid, ill-informed decisions. Yeah. And, and so it was market-informed, Yeah. you know, for sure. One of the questions I ask financially is, what's the downside? Yeah. You know, you heard me say, maybe we can lose $30,000, dollars $50,000. Right. We weren't going to lose our house if it didn't work. I sure. had a reasonable expectation sure. of at least breaking even, but sure. I felt like there was a lot of upside, and I felt like this was music that needed to be heard. Yeah, that's awesome. And 1999, what is that? 20, my math is terrible. It's 17 years later? Yeah, about 17 years. 17 yeah. years that's been. And I, every now and then I'll check the iTunes Christian charts, and it's still up there in the top 10. I mean, has it ever not been? In the top 20 since it's, it came out? It's been out? out of the top 10, you know, a few times when some new records come out, but it is pretty much a perennial top 10, yeah. you know, song from, yeah. from the time it came out. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that was after having 20 years of, of experience in the, in the business. Did you get into the business in radio? Did you say that was your first yeah, I did. kind of go at it? Yeah, I, I did. I went to college to really be a pastor because I thought that's what I do when you know when you're raised in the church you're either a missionary or a pastor and I wasn't going overseas yeah. um, I'm a meat and potatoes guy I couldn't handle Italian or Thai food or anything yeah. <laughs> but you know I got there real quickly and said this is not for me and yeah. this is not really what I'm supposed to do and so I don't know how I figured this out at 18 19 years old but I said I really want to be in a broadcast I would rather be the guy behind the platform helping raise up the platform the guy behind the curtain than be the one on the platform and at the time, I thought I could do that in radio. Sure. And so I immediately went and tried out to be a radio DJ, walked in. They said, do you have experience? I fudged a little and said, yes, I do. They tried me out on the board. I don't know how I did it, but it worked. They hired me, and that's how I got really started. So you started as um, a DJ. I started as a DJ overnight when I was in college, and then I did afternoon drives on a country station. That's and awesome. then I got into radio sales, and then I had to do an internship like wow. so many people. And I did that at Word Records, which was situated at Waco at the time. I was at Baylor University. Yeah. You know, it was really kind of a nuisance because I was trying to make money to pay for college. Right. They offered me a job at, I don't know, three twenty-five an hour. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. I said, no, thank you. And then I ended up uh, a few months later wanting to quit radio because, frankly, I just didn't like what I was having to do. Yeah. And went to have lunch with a friend of mine at Word. Sat at the table. The VP of marketing walked in and said, I've been looking for you. Will you come to work for us? Wow. And... That's how I got started. And at Word, I did radio promotion. I was head of marketing for Maranatha Music. I was in the marketing department. 
And then I ended up being general manager of the Murr label at that time Yeah. before I moved to town. And I oversaw Reunion Records when I was there, which led me to come to Nashville to run Reunion. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you went to Baylor, you said? Went to Baylor. Okay. All right. So when you're, you know, fast forward to today, you're running a pretty successful company. When you're going to hire somebody, how big of a factor is the college thing in your decision to hire somebody? Because I asked Steve Ford the same question. I'm interested to know your take on that. Yeah, I don't think college is a big deal to me. I don't think you have to go to college to do this. I think college can be an indicator of commitment, an indicator of follow through. Yeah. But there are at least two that I know of here that have never graduated college that work on staff. Yeah. But I knew them from their work experience and what they've done. Sure. Uh, what I'm looking for, I really don't like to hire people right out of college. I want to hire people that have had jobs that understand how to work. I don't want to teach someone how to work. Yeah. I don't mind teaching them skills because what we do is not something that you can really go to college for. Sure. Uh, you can certainly grasp the tools and the mechanics but this is a business that can only be learned by doing yeah. and by being taught. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, you know, me being biased, having not gone to college, I have maybe 10 credit hours. You know, I'm always drawn to stories like that. But I do think you're totally right. You kind of just have to jump in and you kind of just have to start doing it. So, I mean, what are some of those things that you do look for? Because, I mean, somebody that's in college or maybe thinking about going to college, I mean, you're kind of saying, well, you know, they've got to have some experience before we hire them. I mean, what do you say to somebody who's kind of fresh out of college, has their degree in whatever, in music or communications yeah. or radio? I mean, where do they even start to, to get that experience before you'll even be interested in having a conversation? Well, I, I think internships, Seth, is one of the things. Um, you really have to intern. I have a daughter yeah. who works for Warner Music in New York City. Yeah. She started out as an intern in New York City. Yeah. And that's how she got the job. Yeah. I think you have to volunteer. We're not looking for free work. Yeah. You know, that, that's not something that as a company, hey, let's get a bunch of free people in here. Because interns take time. Right. And they take energy from you. You know, they're not necessarily bringing anything to you, but we're looking to invest in people and possibly look toward the future. That's why we bring in interns. Yeah. But I think what I would say, maybe answer that question this way is, students, once they graduate, they think they've got the answer sometimes and they're ready to go and they're not. Yeah. They have to look at their first job in the music business as a graduate degree yeah. that they're actually getting paid for. They have friends yeah. who are going to, to get their MBAs, getting law degrees. They're paying $50,000 a year. In the music business, you need to come and work for a company. Maybe you're making $10 an hour. You're having to work at Starbucks on the side. But right. you have to view that as getting your master's in the music business. Yeah. And that's what's going to advance you. The music business is not a stair-step path to the top. It is um, long plateaus with, uh, you know, jumps up and then another long plateaus and then up yeah. uh, because it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, there has to yeah. be opportunity, time, chance for someone to advance. Yeah. And you have to really own it. You have to know it. Yeah. Well, that's got to be a paradigm breaker for a lot of people listening out there that you go to college, you don't just get hired, but what you're doing is you're getting a graduate degree. I've never thought of it like that. And that's a fantastic way to put it, that your first job, look at it as... There's your master's or your doctorate or whatever. You know, you might be getting paid a little bit, but don't expect to be coming out of Belmont or Berkeley and making fifty or sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year right out the gate. You kind of have to, what, build some track record and have some successes, and you know, it, it does. And, and we don't try to pay top dollar out of college. We pair people here very well. Yeah, uh, we're very competitive. At, yeah, definitely at the top end of the scale. But if you come here and you're new. 
you're going to pay your dues yeah. because I don't want to spend a lot of time and energy with our staff pouring into you, teaching you what needs to be taught to have you flake out sure. or not be the person we want you to do. You have to come in and kind of prove yourself for a while. Yeah. And that means you're, you know, you're not literally taking out trash, yeah. but you're going to be doing whatever needs to be done. Yeah. And so we're looking for high character. We're looking for great work ethic. And frankly, we're looking for people with big eyes and big ears. And what I mean by that is hmm. there's a seminar going on around you all day long. Open your eyes and observe it. Open your ears and listen to it. Don't think that just because you do your task, you're being a great employee. Mm. Everybody can do their task. We need people that are paying attention and figuring out how to be better and learning more than what's in front of them. Yeah, gotcha. We, we kind of talked a little bit. It's, it's definitely a team sport. So maybe talk about some of those, those guys really quick that work with you. Because you, you got James. We talked about James a little bit on yeah, the A&R I, side. I feel like I'm very fortunate. I feel like I have some of the best partners ever. And you know James Rieger, I think, is one of the best A&R guys. Dan Michaels, one of the best marketing guys. Mark Nicholas, one of the best publishing guys. And they're, they're experienced. They're seasoned. Um, and they're very, very good at what they do. Yeah. And one of the reasons they're very good at what they do is that it, it is not about them, as I've mentioned. Um, they are really trying to figure out how do we best serve the artists. You know, serving sometimes is um, staying out of the way. Serving sometimes is kicking people in the rear. Serving mm. sometimes is, you know, offering breadcrumbs, however you want to put it. But yeah. uh, they serve the artists really well. I yeah. think they represent the company really well, and I, I just couldn't see doing it without them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, it definitely takes a team. You kind of brought up Mark Maxwell earlier. Was that how you met Bart, you said, was a connection through Mark Maxwell? Yeah, Mark referred him. I actually had given Mark his first job in the music wow. business in Waco, Texas. He worked for me at Mert Records. And I'd known Mark for a long time. And, you know, probably my name was on the list about five or six down at that point from everybody else. But I guess they'd gone through the first four or five options and finally got to me. <laughs> gotcha. As a leader of your own label, what are some of the things that you do? Because my company's had the privilege of doing some projects with you guys, and James Rieger was one of the first people I personally met moving to Nashville, and he's been with you for a long time, which honestly, in the music business and in Nashville, the turnover is a pretty, you know, unfortunately common thing, and he's been with you for a long time, so that kind of makes me ask the question of, you know, what are you doing that's different for your staff that's sewing into them? and creating long time, not just employees, because I hate that word, but, you know, partners and team members. You know, I think, yeah, I've been very fortunate. We have probably, I'll do the math, but uh, one, two, three, four, five, six or seven employees that that have worked together in the same office with me for at least 12 years. Yeah. Probably the average, you know, tenure at this company is double digits. And I think that's, you know, you say, what'd you do right? I don't know that I've done anything right except hire correctly. Yeah. Hire the right kind of people who are motivated, self-starters. They are not children. They don't need direction. They're full-grown adults. Yeah. And I like that. I do not have a philosophy of, I'm a chief and let's hire a bunch of Indians. Yeah. Uh, I want a bunch of chiefs. And so I would rather have six or seven really strong individuals that I would pay a lot to rather than 12 people. You know, numbers sure. don't matter. It's about capabilities. We have very capable people. And I think as a leader, your job is at times to jump in front and clear the path. At other times when things are going well, just to stay out of the way and let them run. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about here is it's amazing what can happen when you don't worry about who gets the credit. Yeah. I really personally don't care. I think the people here in this company don't care. We don't care who gets the credit. We just want to get the job done. Yeah. And, you know, it's 80% is just showing up 
We come to work every day. We work with artists. We dial for dollars. It's just one step in front of the other every day. That's an interesting saying in context of the music business. How do you dial for dollars in the music business? Well, in general, that's just us working hard. Yeah. Our radio promotion people are on the phone every single day talking to radio stations. Yeah. We're trying to market records every single day. James, you mentioned James Rieger, who's, I think, one of the best A&R guys in the biz. Dan Michaels, I think, one of the best marketing guys in the biz. They get up every single day and do it. When it's not sexy, when it's hard, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, yeah. it's one of my favorite movies, and I can't remember the name of it. It's a football movie, but there's yeah. a locker room speech, and he's given this impassioned plea to the players, and he says, you know, we go out there, we dig for every yard, you know, every play, every foot, every yard, and at the end of the game, all those feet, all those yards add up to maybe be the difference in winning the game. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's kind of our philosophy is that we want to advance the ball every single day. Yeah. And at the end of the year, at the end of two years, five years, we're going to be much better off for it. And the artists are going to be better off for it. Yeah. So you wake up every day with that mentality, putting one foot in front of the other, little a yard here, a yard there. What's a typical day in the life of Jeff Mosley like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no typical. I mean, you get that answer a lot. But yeah. uh, one of the things for me I have to do is I get up fairly early and I work out in the mornings, have breakfast, go through emails, get to the office. And you know, my position is a little unique. Every day there's a little bit of marketing, there's a little bit of A&R, a little bit of finance. Yeah. And, and then what I would say, a little bit of the ethos and the life of the company, and then a little bit of trying to think two, three years down the road in yeah. terms of strategy. Yeah. Some days all I do is deal with artists and managers and songs and try to help the product along. Some days I help marketing along. Some days are, are finance, but typically it's those main areas. Yeah. And then I think as someone that has a role that has really good people that work with them, that gives me the opportunity to think farther down the road, to think ahead, to say, where do we need to be in two years? Where's the market going? How do we need to be positioned correctly for the market today sure. and for the market to come? So you covered marketing, A&R, finance. You didn't list distribution. Is that even kind of a part of, you know, what is modern distribution to fair trade and to you guys? You know, it's, I think, you know, I've been told I live 10% in the past, 20% today, and about 70% in the future. That's my personality. Say my that one more time, because I, I think that 10, went over a lot of people's <laughs> I live 10% in the past, 20% today, and 70% in the future. That's okay. really what occupies my thoughts. Yeah. And so I'm, I feel like I'm living a couple years out. Yeah. For the most part in my head, I didn't list distribution. Certainly, Christian bookstores are good partners. Walmart's a partner. But it's diminishing. Yeah. Uh, right now, you look at the marketplace, and these are rough numbers, but it's a third, you know, 30% physical, maybe 40 35% digital downloads, and about 33%, about a third streaming. Yeah. And so I, I really feel like distribution's not the issue. Stores are going to order what stores are going to order. Yeah. So I quit worrying about how many units we ship. I worry about what are the marketing plans that we've put in place to create the suction to pull those you know records off the shelves, to create the downloads, yeah. uh, to have people stream our records. And that's you said it's about a third, a third, a third, roughly. Is that in terms of revenue or in terms of like audience? That's people? in terms of revenue. Yeah. That's in terms of revenue. Uh, we've seen the physical diminish quite a bit through the years. Yeah. You know, it's, they're down somewhere around 15, 20%, you know, this year again. Yeah. Uh, digital downloads are down this year. You know, I think overall in the market, around 15% down. 
uh, depending on you know your mix and what's coming out. Streams are up 30, 40%. I mean, our streams are almost doubled yeah. this year, you know, 15 versus 14. But I think that's because the Christian market's catching up. Sure. You know, they're a little slow to the new technology, but that's kind of how, how it shakes out today. That's pretty significant, though. I, I wasn't expecting that high of a number in terms of your, you know, your, your company's livelihood to be coming in off of streaming and YouTube and Pandora, whatever, you know, wherever that all comes from. Is that largely from any one source more than another, like Spotify versus YouTube versus internet radio? or Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. it's internet radio, streaming radio. Uh, Sirius, Pandora is really strong. Uh, yeah. Some terrestrial radio stations that stream on the web. Yeah. Certainly Spotify. Premium pays uh, a lot more than ad-supported yeah. on Spotify. You know, YouTube obviously is still a source of revenue. Sure. We particularly work with Vivo. That's yeah. how we syndicate everything through YouTube. Yeah. So... Yeah, it just adds up. I mean, it is not on a per stream basis. It's very small. But when you've developed a catalog through the years, it can add up to be a really significant part of your revenue. Sure. Yeah, because you're probably, you know, I mean, you, to keep going back to I can only imagine, I mean, how many lyric videos are there out there online of that one song? Quite a few. You know, making <laughs> how much ever it's making every year. So in the era of streaming, do you think it's a good time to be in the music business? Oh, I think it's fantastic. And why? <laughs> well, let me say that in 2011, you mentioned it, uh, I bought the company back. Yeah. I doubled down. And, you know, I'm one of the few that have done that in this era. Yeah. But I think that there's two ways to look at chaos, is you can either give in to chaos and participate chaos, or you can profit from it. Yeah. The reason I think it's a great time is because I think many years back, we saw this coming. A lot of people saw this coming. It's not unique to us. But I think we positioned our company for such a time as this. Yeah. We are really looking at what I call the digital divide, where CD sales are down, downloads are going down, and streaming's coming up. But streaming does not cover the downside of you know, the download and the physical at this time. Sure. There will be a two-year period where earnings will be depressed. Yeah. There will be a lot of people go out of business. There will yeah. be a lot of people scared at this point. But I think there's great opportunity if you're positioned so that you can ride through that. Yeah. I think streaming is going to be a really significant part of the revenue. Yeah. I think there's also all kinds of ancillary ways to make money in this business. So I've been bullish on it. I mean, we've yeah. had, since we bought it in 2011, we've had four of the best years in the company's history, just trying to be smart to do the right things, make the right decisions. And what are some of those things that you can do to weather a downtime? Like you mentioned those kind of two years. I think a lot of people get caught up in how many records did they sound scan, you yeah, know, yeah. with what I would call the um, kind of the press release mentality. Yeah. And we're really not concerned about the press release mentality. Uh, last time I checked, you don't pay your bills with sound scan, you pay your bills with real dollars. Yeah. And so we yeah. try to make disciplined business decisions. Yeah. If a bookstore, let's say, is going to sell 3,000 records for us, and they want us to spend $10,000 for price point and positioning, we're probably going to say no because right. that's $3 a unit. Right. You know, other yeah. people would rather have that 3,000 so, units so it looks good yeah. and they'll spend that money. We will not make that. We try to make disciplined business decisions. We're not cheap. We look for value because at the end of the day, it's what the artists can put in their pockets, what we can put in our pocket. I mean, we don't exist to profit, but we have to profit to exist. Yeah. And so we have to make smart business decisions. Yeah. Well, you think about, you know, we don't run a label or anything like that, but you, you kind of make decisions along the way that it's like, how do you gauge the ROI of certain investments? Like, hey, here, let's go make a YouTube video for this artist, or let's 
go hire a publicist or, or whatever it might be where you might not necessarily be driving, like you said, sound scans or sales. So how do you kind of gauge ROI, return on your investment on those type of things? Well, I think, I think one of the things to really be aware of is when do you call the question? Do you look for your return on your investment in three months, six months, one year, two years, three years? Yep. And so at different times in artists' lives, you call that question at different times. With a new artist, to make a decision based on a return investment in six to nine months is foolish. Yeah. You should not be in the new artist business. Yeah. You know, a lot of the investments in new artists are not going to pay off for three years. Yeah. And so you have to understand the time horizon on that investment. Uh, if it's a more established artist, that should pay off in six to nine months. Sure. Right? Sure. For example, we have an idea of how many views we might get on a video. You know, we have some reasonable expectation. But everything that we do, there is no slam dunk. Yeah. Everything has an element of risk. Yeah. And you have to, to balance, like I say, your market kind of information being market informed yeah. with a risk that you feel like is reasonable. Yeah. I never ask myself, how much money can we make? Sure. I always try to figure out when can we break even. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, without divulging too many company secrets, what are some of the things that are working nowadays and what are some of the things that aren't? Well, I think in general, streaming is doing yeah. really well. Yeah. We started focusing on streaming two or three years ago and heavily. It was hard to focus actually before that. Yeah. And we're really seeing it pay off. And, and again, it is streaming is one of those show up every day, make the right decisions, and it feels like we are making advances in inches, not feet, in streaming. Sure. But when you look at it, you look back in the previous 12 months, you're like, wow, look how far we've come. Yeah. And so we just we work really really hard for you know placement on playlists to work inside Spotify. We work hard with you know internet radio those yeah. type of things. And just trying to realize where the audience is, what motivates the audience, and how we can kind of get our songs voted on. As a record company, we cannot force people to buy things. Yeah. All we can do is present people an opportunity, and they have to choose yes or no. Yeah. And. I mean, you don't even have to say specifically name any names or artists or projects or anything, but is there anything that you guys kind of thought in the past few years was like, this is going to be a slam dunk, and it just wasn't? Every year. Yeah, yeah I'll never name a name. but Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah of course. I, yeah. I mean, if I saw Warren Buffett yeah. uh, interviewed Sunday night yeah. and was talking about using his wealth to help poverty and eradicate illnesses. And, yeah. They said, some of your things have really failed. And Warren said, of course, if you bat a 1,000, you're in the little leagues. Right. We're playing in the big leagues. Yeah. Now, Christian music is not the biggest genre in the world, but in terms of in that genre, we're playing in the big leagues. In baseball, if you bat 300 for life, you're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Most record companies are going to have a third of their records that they make money on, a third that are kind of neutral, and a third they probably lose quite a bit on. Yeah. So, yeah, we fail all the time. Sure. And, you know, we get surprised, too. Yeah. I wish we'd be surprised more, but, you know, <laughs> that's the way it goes. Well, I guess that always kind of goes back to, like, do you know a hit when you hear one? And then, I mean, to some degree, the market kind of just has to determine it, right? I mean, Yeah, it really that- does. It really does. You can't – there's no way. In the old days, we used to feel like in the 80s or even early 90s, we felt like if we put enough money behind something, we could sell records. And to a certain extent, we could. Yeah. We could almost make a hit. Yeah. But in you know 2016, you cannot make a hit. Yeah. It either has to be there in the grooves or it's not. Yeah. All we can do is take something that is incredible, life-changing, and put it in front of people and give them a chance to vote. Yeah. Talk about publishing. We haven't really touched on that. I know that's something that you guys as a company have positioned yourselves more heavily in. Yeah. You have 
two publishing companies? We do. We have Simpleville Publishing and we have Fairtrade Music Publishing. Why two different publishing companies and not just one? One is owned by Fairtrade. The other is a joint venture with Mercy Me. There you go. And uh, Simpleville was started by Mercy Me. It's run by Mark Nicholas. The guys came to a point. They just said, would you be a partner with us on this? Yeah. And Simpleville, with some exceptions, houses the traditional writer writers, the yeah. people that write for a living, yeah. whereas Fairtrade Music Publishing houses the artists that write. Sure. And that's kind of how we differentiate the two. Sure. They're both run by Mark. It's just different philosophies on, on who to sign. Sure. Although Simpleville does have the afters and Phil Wickham. Right. Know, but right. like I say, in general. No, publishing is a key component of the biz. We, yeah. we live in an environment where if we have a hit, we can't control whether they download a single or they download a record or they stream it. Yeah. And so, so much of the revenue is being driven on a single song basis, either through downloads or streaming, that publishing becomes critical you know, in terms of revenue. Yeah. And we might go out and spend fifty, sixty thousand, seventy thousand dollars to promote a single. And yeah. without publishing, that makes it very difficult to do financially. On a practical level, at least at this label, we work very, very heavily with the artists in crafting the songs, rolling up our sleeves, making sure we have the right stuff, you know, setting up co writing sessions and really, I think, being a really aggressive publisher in those areas. Yeah. Well it seems like the longer I've known you guys, the more you've aligned yourself with that. So when you're doing a record, when you're doing a project, what kind of producer do you look for? What makes a good producer? Because I know you've probably worked with some good ones and some maybe some not so good ones. You know, what, <laughs> being in the business this long, you know, what what makes a good yeah. producer for a project? I think we have to go back and talk about our philosophy in general when it comes to making a record. Really, the first decision is to sign the right artist, mm. and that's that's harder than it seems. But we have to sign the right artist. Then when we make a record. The things that we have to really get right is we have to decide what's the philosophy of the record, what's the best producer to execute that philosophy, and then what are the best 10 songs. So when you say, how do we hire a producer, uh, it really goes with the philosophy of the record. What are we trying to do? What's the audience? What are we trying to accomplish? If the artist is a writer, we're maybe looking for, for a producer that their strength is in arrangement, you know, as well as good sounds. Some artists come fully arranged, fully developed. We're looking for someone that can bring creativity to the sounds, for example. Sometimes we have artists who need help with writing, so we're looking at a producer who can write along with them and help arrange. So it really depends on the, the area that needs the most work, and every record, every artist is a little bit different. And that's, I think that's great. I think as a producer, that's an opportunity. And I think you, as a producer, you can certainly want to do all three, but typically you have strengths in one of those areas. And uh, usually you'll be sought out for that. Sure. That goes to the next part of the question being on your, you know, you, you've got the publishing side. What do you look for when signing a producer or a writer? I think, you know, again, I tend to do things in threes. I break things down pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we have writers who are lyrics. I think we have writers who are uh, melodies. And I think we have writers who are tracks, you yeah. know, and we have writers who are idea people. Yeah. So you can look at some of the writers we have, and, and again, I'm not going to point them out, but we have people that their strength is ideas. Yeah. We have people that are lyrics. We have people that are more melodies and tracks. Yeah. And so we are looking for specialists in those areas. Yeah. We're not looking for a platoon of soldiers. Yeah. We're looking for kind of a highly specialized SEAL team, yeah. each with their own specialty that can cross-train in other areas. Yeah. So our idea guys are good at lyrics. They can do melodies too. Yeah. But their strength is ideas. And so the art of it is putting the idea guys with the right lyric guys with the right melody guys. Sure. You know, you don't put three idea guys in the room. 
Yeah. You know, so the, the art of it is where do we have openings? Where do we have things that weaknesses that we need to position and the people that are coming to us, the writers, what are their strengths and weaknesses and how do we make that fit yeah. in this pie that we have? Yeah. And do you work with mainly producers and writers in the, in the Christian genre? And that's kind of exclusively. We do. We've had a couple of country writers. We've had some success. I think we've had one song on the country chart and, yeah. you know, some near misses and some cuts, but yeah. Yeah, Christian music is what we do. I mean, that's what we're called to do. And really, the country forays, it's just an outgrowth of working with Christian men and and women who want to write some country songs. So we're just helping them kind of fulfill something they want to do as opposed to a strategic initiative. Sure, sure. So if I am, you know, Joe, producer from Iowa, I've got these songs, or I'm a writer, and I want to look at getting a Christian publishing deal with Fair Trade, how would I go about that? Or do you not even kind of entertain those type of submissions at this point? No, we entertain. I think, I say this all the time, if you can't figure out how to get music to us in a way that we pay attention to, you're not ready for the business. Mm. You have to know a producer, you have to know a lawyer, yeah. a manager, somebody that can get the music to us yeah. to make us pay attention, Yeah. right? So figure that out. Then the other thing is, you just have to be really good. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be good. There has to be something that jumps out of the speakers, jumps off the page, that makes us say, wow, yeah. This person may not be all the way to 10 at this point, yeah. but this six is outstanding and we can see a way to get to 10 based on what they're putting on paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we're wrapping up, our show is always focused on talking and having conversations with people who are performing and doing things at a really high level, which you obviously are as a company. So uh, first of all, congrats on your success. But secondly, what are you putting in right now that's inspiring you? Are you a reader? Do you listen to lots of music, or do you not listen to music being in the music business? No, you know what? I, I listen to a lot of music, yeah. and I go through phases. Yeah. I do moderate my listening. I typically do not listen at home because yeah. I, one time many, many years ago, I got burned out on music and didn't want to listen to music for mm-hmm. about a year. Yeah. So I'm very disciplined in my approach into how I listen to music. But I love music. I yeah. mean, it's, I believe it's life-changing. That's yeah. why I'm involved in it. Yeah. Do I read? Yes, I read about 60, 70 books a year. Wow. And I think that the smartest people I know, the richest people I know, the most well-rounded people I know, read. If you do not read, you do so at your own peril. Yeah. America, at times, is dumbed down. And if you're going to be in this business, you need to read. Yeah. You need to read. You need to live. You need to read. You need to connect. You need to read. You need to experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's read, read, read. Yeah. That's one of the, if you look at very successful people, that's one of the biggest differentiators you'll find is that they are readers. Hmm. So top books so far of 2016. Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, (laughs) Or books. It doesn't have to be one. You know what? I'll I'll talk about some authors. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, in the kind of more theological, sociological realm, I really like N.T. Wright. I'm a big fan of Oz Guinness, who's a sociologist. You know, in terms of business, really like Malcolm Gladwell a lot. You know, I like good to great, you know, yeah. those type books, you know, yeah. been really positive. I also like fiction. Yeah. I, I read Brad Thor, who's a local Nashville writer. And, yeah. you know, it's all spy fiction and stuff. And I do that on airplanes sometimes to, that's awesome. Instead of taking a nap, I'm usually reading some kind of like mercenary book, you know, yeah. or spy yeah. novel. But, yeah. yeah, I just think it stirs your imagination. It really encourages you. The other thing is, I read a ton of articles. And some people cannot handle a book. I understand that. But seek out things that will inspire you, that will really confront you sure. in a good way sure. uh, about your thoughts and your ethos and your philosophies. And you can find that. It's a big web out there. 
Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're never going to find the end of it. And so there's a lot of great material. Yeah. You talked about articles. Do you follow any bloggers? I know that's pretty huge nowadays. You, you know what? I don't. My somewhat cynical response is a lot of bloggers are people that have failed and are somewhat <laughs> cynical themselves. Sure. I like to learn from people who are successful. Yeah. You know, no one ever erected monuments to critics. Yeah. Uh, you erect monuments to people that accomplish something. And so I try to spend time being around people who are successful. I seek them out. Yeah. One of the things I would encourage people to do is always be someone that is looking to learn. I talk about reading. That's important. Yeah. But look to learn. I mentioned there's seminar going on around you all the time. Yeah. Always be curious. The guy next to you in the airplane, find out what they do, what makes it tick. Yeah. Why is that yeah. important? Some of the best ideas I've ever received are from people that are not in our business and I just listen to what they do and say, I think that's something we can apply to our business. Sure. And so I regularly seek out successful people and try to find out what makes that work. Yeah. And so the last question as we're wrapping up, if you can kind of pinpoint one thing, I know this is kind of a, you know, a thinker question, but what's the best piece of advice would you have given the younger you when you were first starting out wanting to get into the music business? You can think about it for a minute well, if you need to. Well, I think I received some great advice. And I tell people this all the time. I was fortunate early on to work with a guy named Stan Moser, who used to be president of Word Records. And Stan took an interest in me as a young guy and, and really helped me out. And one of the things that he said was, Jeff, you've got to decide if this is a sprint or a marathon. Hmm. And then you have to pace yourself accordingly and make decisions accordingly. And through the years, I found that to be true. Early on, I said, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm called to do. Mm. And so it was a marathon. So I tried to make decisions that were, at times, not as advantageous to me, but I felt like in the long run would be. Yeah. I have seen a lot of shooting stars through the years. Mm. And one thing about shooting stars is they always burn out. Wow. And when I started the company in 99, that company was really built on relationships and hopefully decisions and the way I treated people in the previous 20 years. Yeah. If I'd made short-term decisions, use them as things to be discarded and thrown away, I don't believe that we would be sitting here today. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. seen a lot of people that have been very successful when they're at the top. Yeah. And when they lose that big act or they don't get that next production gig, they disappear off the face of the map because they were simply tolerated yeah. because of who they represented. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that you don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. You want to be someone that does what I think we do with the artist, which is, and it's a subtle twist, what is right for the artist? Then how can we make it work financially? Yeah. Not what is, can we make money financially, and then how do we make it good for the artist? Yeah. Always think for the other person what is the best thing for them, and then try to figure out how to make it work. That's a long-term decision. That's not a short-term decision. Yeah. You know, I would rather make 10% a year for 100 years than 30 or 40% a year for 10 years. Yeah. You know, yep. long-term decisions, understanding that if you're in a career, you know, for not talking about an art, well, and it works for an artist too, but if you're working at a company, it's not going to come overnight. Mm. It's going to be years and years and years. And, and you have to look at it that way. Sure. We live in an instant gratification culture. We live in a me culture and you need to realize it's not about you. It's not about what you did. It's what about what you do for others. And it's about the long haul and the long term. Yeah. You know, I think that's the thing that I would say. Fortunately, I had someone that drilled that in me very early. Yeah, well, that's great advice. And I love that you kind of talked about life being a seminar. It's around you all the time. And I, I feel like this morning has been a seminar for me. And I think people listening out there, I hope you guys were taking notes. And if not, go back and listen to the show again. Take notes. There was tons of 
wisdom in, in, in this conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're, yeah. you're a busy man and <laughs> got the world to run, but uh, thanks again for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to be here. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, produced by Full Circle Music with editing help from Kaylee Ingram and Jericho Scroggins. Check us out online at fullcirclemusic.org and don't forget to get your submission in at musiccontest.co. $15,000 worth of prizes. You could be the winner. Head over to iTunes. If you're not subscribed to the show already, do so and leave us a rating and a review and tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening.